everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified. Uh, I'm your host, Mark the Liberty, and joining me today is Corey, the reasonable person, Knockreiner. At least I hope I'm a reasonable person. Maybe I'll pass that rule. We'll find Debatable. out. <laughs> we actually have a guest on as well, too. Uh, we'll be joined by Matt Lee, Senior Director of Security and Compliance at PAX 8, to discuss reasonable person uh, rules and a whole lot else in the space of MSPs and MSSPs. So uh, without any further ado, let's go ahead and roll on in. So today we are excited to have a chat here with Matt Lee, uh, Senior Director of Security and Compliance at PAX 8. Welcome to the show, Matt. It's uh, great to have you on here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm I'm super excited. You know, I, I love WatchGuard and followed Corey for, I don't know, since the beginning of time, I think, potentially. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Mark calls me Pop Pop Corey. So <laughs> to, to him, beginning of time is apt. But man, Fair. it's a pleasure to have you on. We've chatted before and you do a lot of great things. Thanks, man. Yeah, so we want to just get started first with anytime we have someone on, you know, we like to hear what we call your hacker origin story. Basically, you know, every superhero's got one. And on the security side, like in other words, what really got you started in information security? Yeah, it's actually quite succinct or well, not succinct. I'm never accused of that. But it's actually um you know, for me, very profound, right? So I was with an MSP uh, for about 11 years. We ultimately sold and exited from an MSP that was over 35 million or so in revenue um, at the time of exit. And so I, I had been working from dealing with security events, dealing with incidents, dealing with this rise in understanding of how to handle, you know, kind of security events and, and really just kind of proving my own ignorance to um, what that really took to manage. Um, and as we grew and became a larger MSP, I was tapped as the head of security of this new 20 or so million dollar entity uh, and the head of technology and security. And so I wrote out this email on a Wednesday and I said, hey, my single greatest fear is that we're the next MSP to be compromised in such attacks as the Kaseya event and other things at that time back in you know, 2019 or so. And so I had always been involved in the cyber incidents. But when I made that transition was that Friday after sending out that email, we had bought another company and that company was compromised. And that compromise did cost us more than two commas. And it did take 18 months of my life and it changed me through the traumatic stress and the you know, loss and just the abject anger and hatred and pain and all the things that happened all the way through the companies we supported, but also our internal space. And we lost a lot of those companies and we lost a lot of those humans through that endeavor. And so for me, it was just one of those things where I finally picked up the sword at that time, if that makes sense, right? It now became something for me that was um, table stakes, right? It was what my mission was. And it was even driven further by taking that and extrapolating it forward in my head and saying, if we don't change this, like we're a soft target, we have very virgin software and technology and tons of tech debt and tons of failure of knowledge and ignorance by choice or otherwise. And so if my children and your children and their children are to have the same virgin experience and beauty of technology and how it improves our day-to-day -day lives, we're gonna have to make a difference. We're gonna have to change. And so for me, it was about pursuing where I can make the largest impact in, in helping people understand the challenges we face. Um, and so it, I took on a mission that day. <laughs> uh, over that the is last, so awesome, yeah. by the way. I, I love that. And one thing I actually, a follow-up question, just because it's such a cool origin story I want to ask you is, like, that's really what we don't want people to have to do. Like, right. we don't want people to get burned by the fire. 
Yeah. But as a longtime security guy, I think we all know that security is not number one to business, right? We're, we're in business to do whatever our business is sure. in technology. And it always feels like a cost. And we, we know that as security experts, but what we're trying to avoid is exactly what yeah. you said. So how can we tell someone that hasn't had that experience? How can we convince <laughs> them yeah. without them literally, you know, sometimes you say, just let the kids safely touch the fire. And that's when they'll right. learn. Right. I just, yeah. want to, I just want to avoid that or at least make the, the pain of it. So any ideas there on how I, you can just. I use analogies, right? Because I understand that what what I like to follow, and you'll know that I'm not known for succinct answers, but like what what I I always understand is that there's this huge gap of understanding before someone can can take something that's not so con, you know available to understand. Like the stove, you touch the stove once, it's hot, it really sucks. You don't touch the stove again, right? As a kid, there's this like very small entry level dose to understand the real problem. But in the same breath, as you look forward, <clears throat> like as you look forward over to um, uh, like a building burning, let's say you're looking in 1860 or so and you have a 14-story building tall for its day burning and there's no fire escape. There is no such thing. And you have a human standing in that window and saying, hey, I can either jump to my death or burn to my death. And you know that's the only options for that human. That's what's going to happen. There's a very like guttural understanding of that. And it's very easy to say we need fire escapes. <laughs> Right. Because you have this contextual understanding. Well, when you're starting to say that about like, um, you know, people talking about cyber, you don't have this direct correlation to, hey, there's going to be ransomware and it's going to be a problem. They're going to egress data. You're going to have all these regulatory challenges. You're going to have these image challenges. You're going to have people hating to work there. You're going to have these challenges. And it's really hard to like make someone understand that. So for me, I try to use the analogy of everybody understands when I talk about that dude standing in front of the fire, they know what's happening. They can image that and they can tie it to cyber. So I like to use analogies to bring it down. And I think what we're overcoming is in no other industry <clears throat> with this level of professionalism, do you have such a distrust, right? If you look at doctors, like my doctor doesn't have to explain the pressures on walls of vessels at the long ends of the smaller pieces and how that changes with higher pressure and how it might damage the skin. So doesn't have to go into that. He goes, hey, you have blood pressure. It's a problem. Take this pill. And you go, okay, cool. And so we're in that phase where we're having to educate through that. Um, and we're having to actually prove we know this. And, and there's a lot of things that go into that. But ultimately, because I'm, you know, short, short answers. Uh, ultimately, I would say it comes down to um, just trying to educate in every way you can. And then at the same That's time, fantastic. hold the vendors more accountable, hold the people that are actually making those decisions more accountable. So sounds good. Yeah, 100%. So before we dive into the main topics, I wanted to say like, so most of our listeners are resellers or managed service providers, few of them even MSSPs. Yeah. So they're probably already familiar with Pax8, but you want to just give us a little bit about Pax8 and what you do there? Yeah, so it's really cool. I actually proposed this mission. Pax8's a distributor. We bring vendors on our line card. So, you know, everybody understands that part of it. We also see ourselves as educators. We're, we're really trying to build and grow that capability of the MSP as more demand is happening for that. Um, so we, we have that as a mission. <clears throat> but ultimately, my job most fun in the world um, is to really try to drive some of that security thought leadership, to try to educate, to one-to-one -one educate, right? You know, Corey, you've carried that torch for such a long time, but to also go and speak on behalf of those organizations that are trying to solve this with their constituency and help them make those, those same analogies, right? Back to Corey's question of how do you do that? Sometimes it's, it's being fun and funny with cool analogies and having the one eye that points at a wall, right? Like, so, <laughs> um, but yeah, so my job entirely at, at Pax8 is to really serve external uh, endeavors, both in the vendor, uh, consumer, B2C space, as well as in the MSP space um, in each different capacity, I guess, so. Awesome, good stuff. So 
on this podcast, we usually talk a lot about security strategies, yeah. uh, typically geared towards like a specific organization, like as the end user, I guess, like here's how you keep yeah. your company secure. Um, but, you know, many of our listeners, they are service providers and they do manage security for not just them, but their own organization, their customers' yeah. organization. I love that distinction. Thank you. Because that is true. There is two halves to that coin. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Sorry. hundred percent. And so today I wanted to pick your brain really on some of the factors that MSPs and MSSPs uh, need to consider when it comes to defending and proving that they're doing the right thing, really. Sure. And so before we jump into that, so first off, big question, why do you think it's important for an MSP or a security service provider uh, to consider defending a defensibility in their own offerings? Yeah, yeah. And I like that you made a distinction in, def in defending and defensibility, right? Because those are two different um, aspects to this. But I'll also shoot a, a shot, right? I actually gave this speech at, at Tiga's kickoff, uh, sales kickoff. No, I think it was a partner. I apologize. But there were a bunch of MSSPs in the room and I actually fired the shot and said there is no such thing as an MSSP. <laughs> uh, and, and, I, and I'll state that in a pretty fair and sincere way in the point that Congress stepped out and said what I've been saying for years, right? And Circea, if you read the definitions in Circea, which is the uh, Critical Infrastructure Reporting Act, um, if you see in that, they only define the word MSP. If you are a managed service provider of any type, if you do security services, if you do managed data, if you do, I don't care, it's an MSP and we're going to define it. And I think the reason for that is it's, it's a, almost a farce to believe that you're going to provide holistic security as an MSSP if you don't understand the data, if you don't know the data sensitivity, if you don't know the data flows and the way that it works inside the organization. and the way If you're not responsible for turning the wrench, you're going to have a hard time having the conversations about that service bridge. And I think the ones that do that well will do that well. But I think an MSP and MSSP in my you know, farce of this really is kind of defined as we all have this responsibility now. We all have to be able to report. We all have to have this. And that's where it goes into my definition of defensibility. I could I could even flip that to if you're an IT provider and you're providing technology, you can't not consider security. You Thank know, you it's for not finishing just a, it. That's yeah, exactly the, oh, right. Sorry. What I said, what I yeah. Oh, I apologize. <laughs> no, no, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Trust no, me, you, Matt. You get used to act, it. No, no. <laughs> well, he's brilliant, right? So he jumps to the same conclusions at the same point. The inverse of that is the point that this is a convergence in our field. We are seeing a point where you're having to make an inflection to be able to answer for how you're going to deal with the security, as well as answering for how you're going to deal with turning the wrench in the right and more secure way. Everybody talks about security like it's a tool. It's DNS protection or it's this advanced inspection. Nope, not at all. Nor is surgery a surgery right without the scalpel. It's the surgeon. And I think the point is we have so many things that are procedural, so many attack vectors that are human, so many things that just really come down to an MSP that's touching the wrench has the keys to get the wrench out, which means that we have to deal with our own security, how we detect. And everybody's so focused on protect. But if you look at every framework, it's identify what you have, protect it the best you can and understand the threat vectors. But by God, detect, respond and recover come into much more capability in what comes of that attack than the first two, right? And, and so like, I, I see- We harp yeah. on a bit too, like <laughs> yeah. it's nuts. Everyone spends everything on trying to prevent the attack yeah. and then, you know, they get caught with their pants down when someone slips through. And, like, you know, that employee brought into the thumb drive You're never going to their house everything. or no. yeah, whatever. So you bring yeah. me back to my analogy, right? So this is this analogy uh, aspect. So let's say we're going to talk about American football because I'm back in like mostly America land, but like I get hit for this when I'm global and people are like, what about soccer or real football, Matt? Anyway, yeah, but Arsenal over here, <laughs> by the way, he's probably- Yes, yeah, fair. And it's more easy to explain here. So I'm being lazy by using American football if you need to stand on that pulpit. Um, so, but the point is in American football as a defensive player and as a defensive coach guiding those 11 players in their positions that they know, 
how to respond to attacks from the other side. That coach, if he stood up the day before the game on an NFL game and said, I'm not going to allow a single yard, who says that's acceptable <laughs> or even believable or even real, right? And so what, what I like to use as an analogy to help people understand this, this, this shift in thinking is that defensibility for that coach in not getting fired is if he knows that left guard's getting beat every time by Mark across the line from him, every time he's getting crushed, that I now have to bring my inside linebacker up to cover Mark's failure. I now have to bring my corner in closer. I have to bring my safety in from outside. I have to adjust to that in a way that I'm being defensible to overcome those losses and trying to find ways to stop it faster, to have Mark have coping mechanisms or Corey, whoever I made my first example, kneel down instead of getting crushed, maybe take the loss a yard closer so the hole's smaller, right? You could do things. To, and as that coach, you have to be able to say, here's what I did to adjust. I also got with Corey in the weight rooms, made sure he was really putting it on in them lower legs, right? I also, like you see those actions and they're very documented and they're provable and they're things that prove we know. And what they're trying to do in security is meet the rule of the land today, which is really just the reasonable person rule. The reasonable person rule simply states, would a reasonable person find your actions defensible? Would you have done the right thing? Well, if I simply say I bought an EDR product compared to, I made a realization that my overall anti-malware capabilities according to 10.1 on the CIS framework weren't where they needed to be. I wasn't using a learning type algorithm in 10.3. I needed a centralized console in 10.4. So I moved to this product. Here's how we documented. This was our titration methodology. Here's how we retired the old. Here's where we're dealing with this on a contractual basis. And people said, no, here's where we're... you start seeing a world where you're building a story, you're authoring history, right? And so, you know, kind of when you get into that, <clears throat> that piece of this, that what I wanted to talk about today is just that, that concept of understanding you're not going to win. And if you're not going to win, the only way to win is to stop enough yards that they don't score the touchdown, to, to limit the blast radius, to be faster at detecting that change. And the best coaches in history are the ones that go in that locker room at halftime and come back a whole different team, right? Because they've adjusted to the strategies in front of them, which means you're aware of the strategy. You're not simply saying, this panacea will protect me. Right, this this antivirus or this watch guard. And by the way, all great. to, to yeah. meet all those CIS controls, ultimately that second person might have also added EDR to their thing. But it wasn't 100%. for ED, it wasn't for EDR. It was because they understood the issue and what the best mitigation was. Yeah, just like understanding that a guard's job is to not have this giant hole open up that means the secondary has to respond, right? Like that's the core function. And then how do I do that is all the other. And so we're kind of watching an industry, even the MSSPs, like I proffered this in my keynote speech was even the MSSPs that, that self-described were usually tool managers. They were usually really not understanding the underlying infrastructure, data, data flows, restrictions, principles of least privilege. They were literally just saying, I will do your EDR better. And that's true. But let's call it what it is, right? This is an enablement capability as a service provider of security, but not really the end-all security understanding. You have to have all halves firing, good processes and an MSP uh, as part of that, right? So. Uh, this is where that defensibility comes back into play. Uh, and we're seeing it everywhere, right? We're seeing it in Congress. We're, we're seeing this come down from both Circea. Uh, additionally, if you, I don't know if you guys want to chat on this one today at some point, the SEC, uh, you know, postulation. I don't know if you've seen this new uh, proposal in the Security and Exchange Commissions around. Remind us, which one? Yeah, for publicly traded organizations. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Needing a cybersecurity person on the board um, from representation. But if you look, it follows the same pattern as Surveyn-Oxley, right? After SOX, you had to have a financial person on the board. Why? Answer why. So People that you could arrest were, someone yeah. when they had and should have known better. <laughs> Swear yeah. to God, that's the Martha right. Stewart treatment, right? It puts the board to understand. 
if we don't report this accurately and we don't report our risk accurately and the things that are on our quote unquote poem or whatever this turns into being, um, then, then now we're actually misleading the public trust from an investment perspective and the SEC has jurisdiction. Right. And so you start seeing a world where we could actually see boards having to listen to the people that are saying things that in those large organizations often get ignored um, for lack of anything other than business drive. There's just nothing driving it from a business perspective. Yeah. So, um, would you say, I mean, it, it, the target breach is so overstated, but I feel like that was one of the first times where at least C-level members started getting fired because yeah. of essentially negligence. Like if yep. there's nothing driving it. Like that again. The issue with security is it's always it's not what drives revenue for the organization. Not it's usually, what, no. It what it's what saves revenue. I mean, yeah. and that's what happened. If if people neglect it, they finally actually held you accountable. So definitely yeah. love the idea of board members doing it. What's funny because you touched on something. Scott Augenbaum, um, FBI agent that does a lot of speaking in our world, uh, actually has one of his slides on his live speeches where he points to the timeline. He said, "I knew cybersecurity was solved in 2014. I knew it." because <laughs> target breach finally brought this into the public and he said and then he did this long hyperbolic slide where it's like all the other things that happened after that right like you know since 14 and he was doing it to be you know joking but yeah i agree like we're, we're, we're all walking through this and i make a lot of correlations to the industrial evolution because i think actually it's kind of relative in the sense yeah. that we had cars in like 1860 something we didn't have seatbelts till ralph relative. nader Right. Like we didn't have seatbelts in 1974 with unsafe at any. Exactly. I mean, I'm pop pop Corey. I remember when we didn't have the Internet, Mark, when I actually had to have a coupler mode. <laughs> there was a time. <laughs> there was a time where you had to so put the phone are, in the cradle. Totally yeah. in the infancy of, of this for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's the point is that just like the Industrial Revolution, you'd build a house and it wasn't on 16 inch studs. And when it would snow, people would die. But geolocated someone in the north might build that house better. That's always there and they don't have them. So you start setting regulations and standards like NIST, CSF and CIS V8, uh, V7, what not one doesn't matter, not making delineations, but are all frameworks and guidances where we have to stop as the MSPs being the smartest guy in the room, guy and gal in the room and start realizing that we need referential objects to hold ourselves to so that we can actually have real conversations about empirical posture, right? Like, here are the things I don't do well, here are the things my client won't do, and here's what they say is the best practice, right? If you look at CIS, there's the 56 IG1 controls and then whatever the summative. By the way, let, let's goes. pause for a sec. I mean, yeah. you're throwing out a lot of acronyms that hopefully our audience knows. Sure. Like, uh, CIS is Center for Internet Security, and they have the Critical Security Controls Framework. You mentioned, I think, NIST's Cybersecurity Framework. If we have Australian listeners, they've probably essential heard eight. of the, the yep. Essential 8, exactly, which, I mean, ultimately, they all have similar best practices, essentially patching, application hardening. I mean, we could all go through them. With all these frameworks, do you have, like, a preference? I mean, should people worry about which to use? Uh, uh, are they, is, it, is the point more about adopting a framework? Because what yeah. you really need is a procedure to do the best practices. Or what are your thoughts? I think you get into that opinion delineation, right? So I would start by saying, I don't care which one you use. I, I really don't care as long as you didn't make it up and you have some referential belief that this will empirically reduce risk and you use that as a basis. And even if your assessments aren't the best, they're assessed against the same framework. So I would start by saying, I don't care what framework. They're all trying to solve the same problem. Now, if you're asking what I find to be the more pragmatic framework, yeah, I, I would say CIS. And it's really because 
in CIS, you have a very pragmatic sentence stated with not a lot of guidelines that might make it not relevant to you when it really still should matter in its core concept. They don't try to overdefine it, right? I actually asked Phyllis, I said, Phyllis, you know, what's, what's your intent for making these so wide? And I already had my belief as to why they're that way. But why do you make these so broad? Why do you just make a statement like saying, have a centralized management console for antivirus? Have an automated process for doing this. Have MFA. And she actually used MFA as the example to bring me to understand. She said, Matt, MFA, you would argue with most MSP professionals, most security professionals, that text-based sucks, that it's, it's probably the least secure methodology. And she said, and some people would use that as a reason not to do it, even though it's the one they could implement. Yeah. And, and the argument is, I'd rather the framework be loose enough to be encompassing everyone in the general concept of it, and then use that to iterate upon itself. And I'm like, this so totally defends my yeah. defensibility argument, right? Be better every day. Yeah. Know your weakness is what day. you could do, but put <laughs> in what it. you can today and don't let perfect be the enemy of good. All too we, often, yeah. we get lost in that perfection is the answer because we're trying to chase this really tough framework when just simply having AV at least meets the need of having AV. And <laughs> now you've made a barrier. Yeah, AP. there's a problem in the ivory tower. I think it comes down to like a lot of our, think about passwords. Like the reason we're going passwordless is because we gave the logical right advice, right? I mean, Oh, all you have to do is use 20 character passwords. And by the way, they should be really random and have a lot of characters and use a different one everywhere. That, everyone knows that's what you should do. Nobody can freaking do it. I mean, maybe with password managers now, yes, but we, no one could do that. So perfect was the enemy of the good. Uh, and me and Mark, I mean, we do point this out. We, we love MFA because we are security nerds. We sometimes crap on tech space as not being the ideal one. But we always say that if you can't do anything but tech space, you better as heck turn that tech space on. I, I would rather have a bad factor, second factor yes. than no factor. Amen. Yeah. And some frameworks 100%. would be exclusive of that thought process, yeah. right? And you I think have that's to use why. exactly this yeah. level of yeah, encryption yeah. or yeah. absolutely. Start talking yeah. about FIPS compliances and things. <laughs> I mean, it's just, yeah. you know, you're getting into these, these very ciphers specific. are bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think what I like about CIS is if you're the general non-regulated public, non-regulated, non-incentivized to drive towards these things, whether it be market conditions or industry or size. But when you're in that space, CIS is such a good barometer of what's my risk capabilities around certain things and where do I have gaps? And at least understanding and in some ways educating about those gaps. Okay, you won't let me take away local admin rights. I want you to understand that that means that anyone landing on this box can just like Matt, even be that Matt Lee's low level hacker level, right? Um, and, and run a script and escalate privilege and now start attacking Active Directory, attacking OAuth tokens, attacking, you know, these things that matter and, and being able to show that. So I like to do a lot of live video demos where I just do yeah. live evil genics demos or live things to kind of like show. To do those. Yeah, they're, they're so, they're so <laughs> they're great, fun. right? They're, they're, they, they tell the people react to those more than anything because it's they like do. you see the problem 100%. rather hear it yeah 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 and it's, it's a picture's worth a thousand words when you can't maybe understand all the context you sure as hell understand seeing your password right there in giant green letters right exactly. like you yeah. totally get that and if you're doing it right you do something fun you like pick a guy in the audience and go bob coppage is a goober or something right and then you just like put that as the password so you're typing it out and they anyways but um you know that was always <laughs> one of my favorite demos we did at like at trade shows like rsa yeah. or ip expo or something where you know set up wi-fi secure Wi-Fi at the booth, do a oh, demo so of uh, yeah. one of us logging in, like getting their LinkedIn password yeah. or something, or 
even just the whole, hey, look, we had 7,000 people connect to GoGo in-flight in the middle of uh, oh, San Francisco's Moscone Center. Because the auto connections the that are day. set there and you have nothing. Yeah. And so, yeah, 100%, right? Like, Was it Karma? What's the one? There's a, a Wi-Fi one where basically they'll watch the beaconing of the phone. You know how everyone connects to whatever network. You don't have to get yeah, you don't even have to know them. That, that's built so in. We just look um, for their beaconing and we get them to attach to our network. That's yeah. built in right here. Pineapple, yeah. <laughs> in fact, all our SEs have that sucker. <laughs> yeah, they're so good. Um, but, you know, and we got a little tangential, right? But, but you know, having a framework helps demonstrate to someone why you would take away local admin rights. And even though it costs nothing, it's hearts and minds that are usually the problems in that. Um, because by the, the way, things, just yeah. Oh, sorry. Anyways, no, go ahead. Uh, I was just gonna say I, I I like the fact that you're mentioning how general framework allows you to do the right thing for your company. One of the things I like about Australia's essential aid is they have this maturity model thing too, where the essential aid are still the eight core pieces of advice or controls, but then they have three levels of maturity, so that if you're like starting at security. Here's what the essential eight means to you. It's not like sure. that full what we would recommend of yeah. MFA Here's everywhere. Here's the sim right away, which is going to parse yeah, yeah. something you don't even understand, and the Stand. time logs aren't even synchronized. You're not even big the... enough. You're a tiny company. Yeah, yeah. but then yeah. maturity model two changes it up. So yeah, they can. The, the smart ones will also offer guidance because every organization isn't the same. And and frankly, I think one thing I really liked is. Honestly, the controls don't matter. Like, ha have you done a data audit? Have you done a risk assessment? Do you know what's big? Do you even know, you know what you're collecting? Are you an ice yeah. cream store collecting Matt's social and date of birth and his eye retina scan? Like, yeah. there might be a problem with that. You yeah. might consider On data the flip changes. Side, there may be 50% of your stuff that's not critical at all. And why spend money securing that? Like, that's acceptable risk. Let that yeah. go and spend your money where it matters. You want to know how I handle that from an analogy perspective? This one's a fun one. Oh, I love it. We're going right. to have to steal all your analogies. Yeah, that's Matt. what they're there for. This is public license. Like, I'm the, you know, the Unix open source GNU or whatever it is license. But yeah, so I, I don't know much about the licensing models. So I apologize. Like, that's a weak spot for me. Um, so, so here's the point. So, like, I like to tell people you can spend a million dollars protecting protecting a dollar, right? Like, so we have to be smart about how we go about protection. And, and the great example is this. If I come up to Mark and say, hey, Mark, I, I have a 1979 Cherry Cadillac. The windows don't roll up. It's black. It's beautiful. I'm going to park it out on the street and I'm a little worried. Here's 150 bucks. Go out there and look after it tonight for me, right? Like Mark might even not sit out there, might even set up a baby camera, right? With some alert software or something and be like, cool, I'll just keep an eye on it for you. Nothing's going to happen. What if I didn't tell Mark there was $10 billion in bearer bonds in the backseat and I had rented airplanes to tell everybody's the GPS coordinates for the last like three weeks of where that car is going to be parked and the windows don't roll up and they're sitting in the backseat signed. There's a much different protection algorithm. There's a much different methodology. We'd now set up ring fencing. We'd have things that say, no, you get in here. We're going to start questioning you here. We have the police rented at this much an hour here. we Why? Because the value of the asset matters how you might protect it. And, and knowledge of that value of that asset or its value to you also matters. And so the, the point is that's my analogy of how I bring people into understanding that we still have to be considerate of the business case. We can't just spend and protect perfectly unless we start getting into endemic systems. Now you start looking at cloud native models, this might change quite a bit. If you were in a world that didn't have the technical debt of physical servers, infrastructural servers, infrastructure code, you're not creating code, you're not WatchGuard having to create these OSs and firmwares and all these things, right? But if you're just a consuming entity, if you were 100% cloud native and you're using Octo or Azure Active Directory as your identity or an identity source, an IDP, you guys have one, right? If you were using that as your core, and then extending into all SaaS through SAML or through OIDC, right? OpenID Connect or, or uh, security account markup language. 
maybe I'm wrong, but or SAML. SAML if you were using security, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you're using one of those two protocols, which if anybody's listening doesn't understand that, it's where you just sign in with Microsoft. You know how you go into this thing and it says sign in with Facebook. That is a form of an identity provider connecting with another asset um, and bringing that identity in. So you now don't have a password, back to that whole potential of going passwordless. But if you lived in a world like that, I could script every customer identically. I could make the same settings in every tenant the same way. I could make the same exact outcomes. I'd know exactly how to guide them through the process of getting them on MFA. I'd know the process of how to onboard someone. I'd know how to extend those things as projects to fix that. Like I'd have a very, very, very defensible, very monolithic protection methodology that, that would be a normalized cost at that space, right? Like, so I think that's where we're heading. I, I think the challenge is you have a lot of people with infrastructural anchors, Right, they have the old line of business software. They're still running this EMR because they want to go through the work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I like to speaking from experience. <laughs> yeah, me too. Right, hundred uh, percent. Inward pointing fingers there. Hundred percent. Well, I was so pivoting real quick now. Like that was great line of talk there. Um, but I want to just pick your brain on another area too, where you work in this unique situation of working for a distributor, working with managed service providers. Like I'm sure you get to see a whole lot of different things. And one of the uh, the issues we see is, you know, with service providers working with their customers, you know, there's a lot of different cybersecurity services that you can offer, should offer, and in most scenarios should be used across the board. But like you encounter organizations where maybe due to resourcing or budgeting or whatever, like they'd end up having to pick and choose and it's not necessarily, it potentially like weakens their strategy really. And so, how could an MSP go about either like convincing or packaging services up in a way to encourage customers to deploy the right level, or like at least make sure they understand the risks of declining something yeah, set, like set oh another IT way MFA yeah. because whatever yeah ultimately some of the customers might if they expect IT and security services from you they might blame you when things go wrong not but, might they do yeah they do <laughs> exactly yes. I was trying to be polite yeah fair <laughs> they will be <laughs> they'll yell one. at you yeah uh, but and uh, but sometimes you don't get the full yeah like depending I mean some MSPs may have a strategy that helps them deal with this but what's your advice on how how you make sure they adopt at least that base package that allows you to have a chance to do the right thing for them. And I think that's the most beautiful statement, right? Just the question itself. Let's look at this. What's the what's the base package? Where does that come from? Are you making that up? Well, you know, doctors went through the same problem, okay? So so doctors really only, and doctors might hate me for this and you get into the real history of it. I'm like the pseudo history, but doctors really in the, in the late 1700s or whatever it might be, might have known how to saw off a leg and use leeches and potentially cauterize the wound in a way that I don't die of gangrene, maybe. That was about it, right? Like being summative. But as you look at it, doctors had to grow and grow. And I got all this from a TED talk. There's a fantastic TED talk about checklists with doctors, okay? But as you go through it, doctors advanced and advanced, and they had now hundreds of things they could treat by the early 1900s. They had tons of different methodologies, but that was localized. That it was maybe just spread throughout different. There wasn't a barrier to entry. You had no, hmm, what other... What other field has grown in such a capacity? Like <laughs> I, I couldn't guess. I never would. Yeah, it's going to be IT and cybersecurity, right? <laughs> and so the point is, doctors <laughs> solve this by at some point having standards, at some point having an educational barrier, an apprenticeship barrier, right? That's the reason they have residency. That's the reason they have. So you start seeing some of those things. So I do believe part of this is us, our problem. That being said, the same attribution in this TED Talk was that they took this hospital in rural Alabama and they said, hey, listen, I want every surgery to end 
with this checklist, a physical checklist. I know you're a smart surgeon. I know you went through all this stuff and you got all the things in your head. And you never have to explain yourself because people don't understand the blood pressure vessel thing again. You start getting yourself into, okay, as that surgeon, then how do I make sure I'm doing what's generally accepted? And they found that by doing those checklists after, which was stuff like how many sponges did I come in with? How many did I leave with? It was stuff like, did I give a post-surgical dose of, of antibiotics and at the right amount of time? And did I check temperature? And did I, those things. And as they did that, they saw this massive reduction in fatalities after surgery, like 40%. And the number was just so empirically valid that they said, hey, maybe the problem is that we've let these people be the smartest people in the room and they've not had to prove that accountability to the actual basics and functions. And I think that's what we surface ourselves. And I think if you look at frameworks, I don't care which one. I, I haven't found a bad framework. I found ones that are hard to use. Looking at you, 800 or CMMC's applicability. <laughs> but I've not met a bad framework. And so if you take that and you use that as your post-surgical checklist and you simply say, okay, here's my package. My package is what I used to sell three years ago. And now I've sold this one since then and that one since then and this one since then. You're still in that one. You won't go to this one. I can't get you. You now just simply have this chart to show them. Here's what this used to be able to do and here's the limitations. Here's the things I can do and please sign off on it. The other thing I'll say to that point, um, you know, not great at, at you know nonlinear thinking, but the other thing I'll say to that that point is that if you take that same experience and just tell them I'm turning this on, my history has been that they take it, right? You've heard of my my history around email protection. I sent out this email to uh, all of our customers at this time. I think it was like maybe a hundred customers, and you know it was about a three million dollar revenue practice, and and we said, hey, listen, we're going to turn on email protection. It's three dollars an endpoint. We're going to back up your email to a third party service because Microsoft says they don't do it. Please let us know if you want to opt out. Otherwise, we're turning it on. How many people out of a hundred do you think opted out? No, not many. Three. <laughs> One of them we talked good. back into it. Right. Yeah. And the point was, I think oftentimes we're afraid to be prescriptive. We're afraid yeah. to step out and say, this is what you got to do. Like, but I agree. That's a mistake that that's, that's why they come to you. I mean, like you say, it's about trust. We need to sure. get to a point where they do trust and that we are the experts, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but it, it shouldn't be where the MSP is asking, well, what product do you want to fix this or what you... it should be here's my packages okay yeah. you tell me what you want you want me to yeah. handle you know file services endpoints yep. i have a security package i have a basic a medium and so a high, i need to do my job level but yeah. i'm going to prescribe the security you just pick the level of package you want depending on your organization needs so yeah. I, I love the prescription method i i'd like msps that do that and, and it's worked way, for me a oh, few sorry. times right like yeah. i'm sorry go ahead Oh, it, it, it's uh, totally off topic, but I love your checklist thing. I just, me and Mark, or at least I always use the NASA checklist, you know, sure. they have those little freaking, like you're an astronaut, you're, yeah. you're tied to this big, huge rocket. And suddenly the left engine goes out and you expect an astronaut. Is he going to remember every freaking switch and dial the turn? Right. No, they have a they flip to a book. This yep. happened. Do this, this, this. They have enough this. knowledge so, and context to understand what they're doing and why it relates. Yeah. It's not like we're saying they're stupid. They're but, smart. Yeah. Attack. They trained. <laughs> but, but they but won't miss that one need, stupid thing. <laughs> yeah. They need that little thing on their arm yeah. that has a procedure yep. for every problem that they might have. And that's yep. why NASA has been so successful at keeping people alive. 100%. In the worst places in the universe. Yeah. Without yeah. a lot of knowledge of all the variables that might exist beyond what you can measure. I mean, you start getting into that, and it's kind of similar to our world. And I think that's the point is that if you still are only held as an MSP to the, you know, reasonable person rule, but there hasn't been a lot of case precedents. There hasn't been a lot of things that that are that are out there besides that. There's some pushes by the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission is saying, hey, we're at least going to sue you for not doing what you said in your contract. 
right? We're, we're talking about suing you if you aren't patching when you say you're patching. Like that kind of stuff's there. But when you really get into it, other than that, your security strategy, there's more guidance from FINRA as to how you lose being a Series 7 stockbroker because you didn't follow the right known strategies than there is for us. There's no it's, way to yeah. lose my license. Right. There's yeah. no license. <laughs> There's what license? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not, not yet. <laughs> right. I, I think Maybe that's kind of <laughs> part of yeah. this problem, too, is that you you don't have like it's, it's back to what you said earlier. Right. This is the infancy. We really yeah. are at the beginning of this becoming something endemic in the public. Congress is talking about it. The SEC is well, seven, talking about seven it. Seven years yeah. ago, our family members didn't know about it. Now it's on the nightly news. So, yeah, yeah it's definitely happening. It's often misattributed, though, because like I was oh, at this sure. cybersecurity conference in in Virginia and the reporter came and interviewed me and it was awesome. But all she wanted to talk about was the correlation to Russia. That was it. That's all she wanted to talk about. And so it's like even that has this kind of like we tell the news as we want to see it and talk about it. Like I don't want to get into a tangent, but um, we are at least entering the news. We are at least becoming, man, you can't get gas in North Carolina this week. Why? Ah, something happened to this pipeline or something like, you know. <laughs> Uh, I Honestly, guess. that is progress, though. Like anything that just gets overall, you know, uh, visibility into this as an issue. Amen. Is something that it's a it's one step. It's why and, I get you know, a job. A few more right? steps it's at this that. early phase where anybody can do it. I mean, any idiot can get up and talk about it. So <laughs> tell me about it. That's why I started 20 years ago. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's even it's even crazy. It's explained so much. Oh, shut up, Mark. Taking the hard <laughs> route. <laughs> oh, you know. So I. It's good. I want to end and honestly, you hit on a lot of this and you mentioned during your origin story with like a bit of adversity to kind of start that really caused you to pick up that sword. And you've mentioned this reasonable person rule and like do care along the way. But really, like, what do you think it like? What makes you what can you do to make sure you live up to these standards as they're kind of being defined? And like, you know, it is pretty nebulous. It feels like there's potential regulations coming all over the place, but it will still probably boil down to just, you know, doing the right thing and doing what's bare minimum required for security. So what's some like guidance you can give around that? The best guidance is a, a crappy policy beats a perfect one. And what I mean by that is if you can live that crappy policy and prove you're doing it and know your own self and know your limitations and know your restrictions, then, then that is a, a defensible start. And as you continue this, you know, you spoke towards it, there's going to be more and more regulations. Don't stop there. You got to grow. You got to put it on paper. You know, if you take one example, let's let's look at the control one in CIS, where it's talking about knowing your assets or knowing yourself, control one and two, right? Data and, and physical assets. And so as you start looking at that, what if initially it's just an Excel spreadsheet? And you're just writing down every time you buy a new one. Well, that's not very automated. It has a lot of human failure. It has a lot of change control problems. There's a lot of things <clears throat> that don't work, but write that down as my policy. And then as I am going to work on that, I write in my poem, right? And this goes back to having a plan of action and milestones. So something to do because I know it's a problem and some way to measure its success, right? So poem. But if you have a poem and you say, I, I am procedure or my, I'm sorry, my, you know, asset discovery procedure is simple and it doesn't work the way I want to. I know I need to improve this and then document that journey. Like auditors love to read the journey of a policy. They love to read the constant improvement. Why? Because they're trying to determine, is this, is this real or is this a checkbox? And as you see the, the requirements come, more of those requirements are going to shift from, I swear to God, I'm not talking about you and CMMC, but more of those policies are going to shift from self-attestation, oh, I'm doing fine, 
to some degree of a capitalistic endeavor to have someone say, yes, you are, or no, you're not doing fine. And as you start seeing that, showing that journey and being honest with yourself about where you are and always striving to be better meets the reasonable person rule today, but it also meets this just humble transparency you have to have with yourself about how bad it really is. Humble transparency with you to understand there's so many gaps of what you didn't understand now that you compare yourself to a framework and the ability to take that humility, share it, to be genuine to your customer base and explain to them when they ask the question of, I thought you were handling this. Well, let me lay out what this is and we'll have a conversation. And you'll get that conversation. And as you do that, you'll have more revenue for the ones that get it. You'll hopefully ultimately fire the ones that don't, that you can't do well enough for to educate them through or they're not educatable and drive that forward so that you can show healthy practices going towards a needle. If you can do that and be profitable and also deliver a better end user experience, a more secure world with less failures and losses, then you'll have the ability to continue what's, what's necessary. I think the first iterations, like look at Circea. Circea, which was the Critical Infrastructure Reporting Act that got bundled into the omnibus bill back in March. Circea says, you're gonna have to report cyber incidents within 72 hours, right? You're gonna have to be able to say, I know about this. Guess how long they have to even implement it? 18 to 24 months. My point is, nothing's gonna happen fast. <laughs> so just stay attention, find a news source that you like, whether it's you know this, this podcast that you're hearing right now, whether it's following me on my channels and my live things, but stay abreast of it. Don't be stupid, willful ignorance and ignorance aren't defensible. So, but just be willing to take yourself and go through it. And I always hate seeing somebody lament at how bad they have it or how bad they are when they start looking at it because that's where you start. Do you think that's that left normal. guard? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that left guard that's getting beaten is being done any favors by telling them, man, you're crushing it, bro? No. No. It's much better to say, listen, you're getting crushed by about three quarters of the people that put up against you. They're able to shift resources elsewhere because of this. You either need to get better. I'd, be, I'd love to help you. I want to help your it's teammates. Help you. Yeah. That's it. And so Make you start understanding that it's, it's, it's very genuine and it should attract people to buy your services, right? Like it, it, it kind of, yeah. it, it ties to your security as a human problem too. I mean, we do, I, I geek out about technology, but love the tech hack technology yeah. and, and good. I mean, I love nothing both cooler than a new zero day, yeah, man. but, but at the end of the day, I think people look at each other and they, if they see someone trying hard and failing, I mean, they made a movie about it, Rudy, right? Yeah. Everybody trying hard. Rudy. You don't trying talk hard. To Rudy, you're a horrible human. Right. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, like just real. Yeah. But they were trying. They they had the they tried, they exercised, they did work, they got slowly better. Maybe yeah. they weren't the best in the world, but yeah, it's it's the, the people you don't like are the ones that like say, Yeah, I got Gloss this. It over. And Man, then they I got go you. they go yeah. smoke and ignore it. Yeah, or whatever it is. And those so, fingers totally point get, back yeah. to me as a vendor. Those fingers yeah. point back to you as a vendor. The same concept comes into start being transparent and humble. Start understanding your gaps and let's all understand that we're all in the beginning phases in this virgin phase of technology, really. Even though it's been 60 years, we didn't have the internet until what, 90X, right? Yeah, and so the at first, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you start looking at this understanding that it's ours to go and fix this. We are where we are. Let's stop lying about it. Let's stop saying AI or the next machine learning or the next thing. No, what's going to solve this is people finding giant problems that, that are the bulk of loss and then finding the pragmatic solutions to the bulk of loss. That comes from vendor. That comes from turning on MFA, taking away admin rights. All the stuff we just talked about is what's defined in most frameworks is the bulk of loss, the protection mechanisms for the bulk of loss. So start where you are and grow is my short answer, Mark, if I had to put this in Jeopardy words. But uh, <laughs> start. Man, could have just had a 30-second podcast and not a 40-minute one. <laughs> I'm not known for those. <laughs> no, I agree entirely. Like that's 
it's, it's something is better than nothing as long as you're continually improving it too. And like, I totally get it. It's difficult sometimes when you just stare at the the horror show that it can be sometimes in security and not even know where to start. And so like, I think you've given a lot of really good guidance on, you know, pick a framework and just iterate, stick with iterate, it and iterate. iterate on it and improve on it. Yeah. Yeah. And it tells a cool 100%. story, like drawing your kid's height on the wall. feels wonderful at the end, right? You see a really tall kid. Um, but yeah, I digress. Exactly. That's great. <laughs> so thank you, Matt. You've been a massive wealth of knowledge. If people want to like, yeah, hear more from you, like what's some, where's some spots? What that, are some of those podcasts you know, and places you mentioned before? Exactly. Yeah. Gosh, let's, let's start with just doing at some point I realized, and this sounds self-aggrandizing, I'd be better just to have a web page and then do it that way than trying to like, remember where I am. Um, so I have cybermatlee.com is my personal web page. I have my YouTube links there, my LinkedIn links there really active in LinkedIn, share a lot of knowledge around CISA releases and around things that I think MSPs need to hear today, as well as small to mid-sized business. And now um, get and, notifications <clears throat> on your streams there, yeah. Exactly. And then YouTube I do mainly for that, that longer reach education. And I hope you use those videos to educate your clients. That's what I make them for. Um, but uh, if you follow along CyberMatley, you can get you hooked up to all the different uh, places from there. So, Awesome. Man. Awesome. Pleasure, pleasure. Thank you so much for hopping on. Pleasure's mine, Jim. Really appreciate you guys it. Do good work here. It's amazing. So, looking forward to uh, getting to meet up with you sometime at one of these conferences. Black yeah. Defcon, maybe. Hey, you know what? I'm yeah. I might be allowed back in this year. I've not been disallowed, so it's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. thanks, guys. Well, thanks, Matt. Great. Chat again soon. See you. Thanks again for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions on today's topics or suggestions for future episode topics, you can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at XORRO underscore. Corey is at SecAdept. And the both of us are at hashtag the443podcast. And if you want to hear more from Matt, you can check him out again at cybermattlee.com. Thanks again for listening, and you will see us next week.